I'm delighted to introduce uh, Dr. Nathan Davies, who's a senior research fellow, and uh, Dr. Nuria Capelli, who is also a senior research fellow, both from University College London. Nathan, you're on mute, just in case you hadn't noticed. Um, and um, also Dr. Kellingly, who's a research fellow at the University of Southampton. Hello, everybody. Hi, Adam. Uh, I'm slightly hysterical, sorry. <laughs> First session was a little bit complicated because I think lots of the guests who are joining later today clearly opened up their email this morning and went, I better just check everything's all right, and then joined. <laughs> there are all these faces popping up, so any guests later today, don't, don't join to test, please. It's a bit distracting. Um, so thank you every, very much, everybody, for, for joining us and taking the time. It looks sunny where you all are. Um, I'm going to ask each of you to introduce yourselves first. So, Nuria, I'm going to come to you first. Could you introduce yourself? Morning, Adam. Uh, yeah, my name is Nuria Capelli, and I'm a senior research fellow based at the Marie Curie Palliative Care Research Department at UCL. Um, I'm also an Alzheimer's Society funded fellow looking at family carers' experience of compassion and developing psychological interventions to support them. That's, yeah, that's basically me, really. Um, and I'm currently working with Nathan on a COVID-based study that when, where we've developed a decision guide to support family carers when making decisions, difficult decisions, if the person they're caring for is suspected to have COVID or has COVID. And it's much more focusing sort of towards the end of life. So it sort of covers all the legal and the medical grounds for um, making those difficult decisions. So that's quite timely. You've been very effective in quickly turning, you know, turning that around. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely been um, a four month sort of, um, it feels like something like a marathon, really, of trying to get as much as we can packed into a very short four month period. Um, yes, it's been very, very effective. We've actually now uh, put it on the website, so it's widely available. Uh, we are still doing some dissemination work where we're trying to get it out there as much as possible to try and really get it to the people who really need it. Thank you very much. Uh, Nathan? Uh, and I get you work with Nuray. Yeah, so, so I'm a senior research fellow based at UCL as well, but I'm based in the primary care department and work a lot with uh, Nuray and the team at the Marie Curie department as well. Um, so overall, all my work focuses on uh, the later stages of dementia or end of life. Um, and so I'm also an Alzheimer's Society fellow and I've got a fellowship that's looking at um, how we can support family carers with making quite emotive and quite difficult decisions around the end of life or um, planning for the end of life really because we know a lot of people get to the end of life and there's not necessarily a plan in place or people haven't always done the advanced care planning um, people don't always want to have those difficult conversations so a lot of decisions are, are left for families so how can we best support them um, and then from that we've like Nerea said we've started this COVID project which has um, been quite a whirlwind and it's quite I think as academics, we're used to having a kind of a long period of time and doing everything thoroughly and rigorously. And it's been um, a quick four months to get this decision guide uh, to support family carers in, with those who are caring for someone so that, with COVID. That happened quickly. So, yeah. um, Kelly, Kelly, could I ask you to introduce yourself as well? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, are you feeling better, by the way? You, I got an email from you yesterday saying, I'm ill. <laughs> I hope I'll be OK. Um, I've got better? a kidney infection. So, um, yeah, it's not great. And I can't get in the doctors. So um, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm a chartered psychologist and an aging and, research, um, aging and dementia researcher at Southampton University. 
Um, my research um, predominantly looks at the objects that people have in care homes. So I wanted to know why when you go into care homes, most people are sat in chairs waiting for things to happen to them as opposed to treating the care home like a real home. Um, so yes, yeah, so my research looks at how can we introduce everyday objects into somebody's everyday life in order for them to maintain their identity and demonstrate who they are. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, thanks everybody for joining. You you two jumped ahead and started talking about your work already. <laughs> but that's good. I, I assume that's because you're so excited about it. So let's. I'm going to come to back to you actually, Nathan, because you were. I, I've broken your flow there. But shall we talk first about? Shall we talk? Shall we pick up the COVID research first of all? Because I guess that's quite timely. So how do you go about? How do you go about something that quickly? I mean, as you said, research studies take ages to plan. Then you have to consult with people. You have to get ethics. You've got to find funding for it in the first place. Participants and ways to check this. How do you do something so quickly? I, I'm going to do whoever's most appropriate to ask, because I know you work on this together. I think Nathan is actually probably the best person because when this all sort of happened, Nathan was very much on the lookout for funding streams. I guess one just before sort of like passing to Nathan, we're, we're in a very lucky, when I say fortunate position, where we are within the research team that we're in, we already have access to people like Chris and Jane and other uh, carers, current and former carers, who help us to feed into sort of development of research projects. So I think being in that sort of fortunate place meant that things like this could be done much quicker rate than, you know, the usual sort of slow, slower paced um, that we do things at. Yeah, so I think we were really lucky. So we applied for the UKRI ESRC funding. So the COVID- Wait, we, because not everybody's going to get this. So that's the no. UK research- Innovation. Innovation, is it? Innovation? Um, so it's one of the one of the main research funders. Government, government funding. Government funding. So, so the, one of the government's responses was to, to make a massive amount of money available to researchers mm -hmm. and they fast-tracked the scheme, didn't they? To say, this has got a very short closing date. You can- and it wasn't just for inoculations and for new tests. It was also exactly as you say to yeah. for care and treatments and other things too. Yeah, and how we can support the better uh, people better really. And so instead of it being a twelve-month process of funding, which is quite common in academia, it was a two-week turnaround really to get us funded. So that was great. Ethics committees have been really quick as well and really good um, and have prioritised a lot of COVID research. So that's been fantastic. And then, as Nureya said, we had a really good group of uh, both current and former family carers, um, as well as Chris on the panel as well. Um, and they've really helped us um, make sure we can get quick meetings um, and get feedback really quickly. And then we've spoken to, we had partners with uh, Marie Curie and the Alzheimer's Society. So they both supported us, which was fantastic. Um, and we've spoken to their staff then to see what were the main challenges that families were presenting with or people with dementia were presenting with. And what- So what, just to pin you down a little bit here, what, what's the output of this, this research then? What, what is it? Is, there, is it guidance? Is it training? Is it, what, what is it? So it's a guide. So we've developed a decision guide. So it's a booklet that's available online and you can download it. And it Ooh, provides, from? Uh, from the UCL website. So it's at ucl.ac.uk forward slash psychiatry. And if you look on there, we can send the link around as well and circulate that. It's on our Twitter. Um, and it's basically a, a guideline about what are the kind of signs and symptoms of 
COVID because it's not always the same with everyone. Um, what are the difficult challenges you may face? So things like um, the care homes, as we're seeing in the news today, care homes are closing, they're not open for visitors. So what can you do? How can you still keep in touch with your relative? How can you still let them know you're around? Um, if you can't visit, what can you do? But also thinking about if someone with dementia becomes un unwell with uh, coronavirus, they're likely to become unwell quite rapidly. And what do you do in those situations? And there was a lot of scaremongering around hospital admissions at the time as well. Um, so is hospital the best place for someone? When is it the best place? Uh, the pros and cons of that. And so it really gets, it prompts people to think about what are the, what's the problem you're facing? What are the kind of solutions or options available to you? Um, and it's quite interactive in the sense that you write answers in as well. So it gets you to think and write your, your answer down. But it also opens up a discussion and encourages you to talk to your GP, talk to your community nurse, whoever it might be, and opening up that discussion, thinking about what questions you can ask of those professionals as well. That sounds super useful. And, and more people clearly need to know about that, I'd imagine. Um, I, I mean, obviously... Anybody listening, please tell everybody. I think that that kind of guide right now sounds fantastic. And I think making sure the outputs of all this are shared are really important because I think it's the dissemination that's always the tricky bit, isn't it? We can all go away and produce lovely guidance and booklets and then you put it on a website somewhere and nobody ever looks at it and everybody can tick a box. And that's definitely not the purpose of this, I would assume. No, not at all. So we're trying to work with uh, dementia and care organisations on a national but also on local levels as well to really just share this as wide as possible. And does that accommodate kind of, uh, does it kind of look at different situations and things like people being resident in care homes, for example? Yeah, so it covers care at home, care in the hospital, but also care in care homes as well. Well, make sure you send me the link and I'm going to look at Kellen now because Kellen, I happen to know, is the person who looks after the enabling research in care homes uh, website and has a big access to lots of care homes. So I think uh, disseminating that for care homes to perhaps also share, because I think care homes as businesses and carers have tricky times too when families are making these decisions. So I think sharing that too, uh, make some connections here. You can follow up. Yeah, <laughs> She'll ask you for a blog. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that, that really is interesting. So that's uh, ucl.ac.uk forward slash psychiatry, was it? Yeah. Um, where you can access that guide. And um, and we'll, I, I guess you'll continue to look at this and iterate this. Is there more funding available to continue this work to implement it as well? So we've got funding for a few more weeks, but we will continue to kind of monitor the situation and see what we need to update within that guide as well. So it, it's a live document, so we'll continue to feed into it, yeah. So, Nerea, what? Tell me what what were you doing before that? I mean, that came along. You dropped everything and said, "Right, we let's get on this." What what what's the normal day job? The normal day job. So, the normal day job is um, again, it's it's much much more around supporting carers, but it's much more about psychological interventions and developing interventions that help support family carers to sort of manage day to day difficulties but when I say difficulties we're talking more emotionally rather than sort of your more practical side of things so see the COVID project that we've done is much more the practical making decisions and thinking about sort of you know the, the questions that you could ask around those difficult decisions 
Whereas my sort of day-to-day job really is much more about psychological interventions and understanding what we mean by compassion. And when we say compassion, we're not just talking about sort of compassion for others, we're talking about compassion for the self. Um, sort of some of my earlier work that I did showed that a lot of family carers, despite the most amazing job that they're doing under such difficult circumstances, can be quite self-critical. They can be quite critical towards themselves. So they might think, oh, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing it the way, you know, the person I'm caring for would have wanted it. So it's about trying to help them to manage through those sort of difficult emotions that, that generated through those situations. Um, I'm currently midway through my fellowship. So I'm just about to start a, a large survey study. I've developed, a, I've actually developed a tool that assesses compassion specifically within the sort of the context of caring for someone with dementia. And I'm looking to um, survey that hopefully in the work, next work stream. Obviously, we... uh, who who would just picking you up on the tool? Who would administer that tool? Who's it for? It's it's very self-report. So um, it is somebody could actually pick it up and um, use it to assess themselves to see how they're managing. The other person, the other, it's much more sort of research focused. I've developed it in a way because what we want to understand is actually are there interventions that can help people to minimize the amount of self-criticism they feel. And so the tool will be used as much more of an outcome measure. I don't want to use sort of very academic terms, but it's just to be able to assess, are there interventions that can actually address those difficult feelings? Um, so it is, it is a very research focused tool at the moment, but obviously later down the line, I'm hoping to do it a much more sort of, um, like a much more of a usable tool that carers can use and hopefully something that the Alzheimer's Society might be able to host on their website. Yeah, because you can see how then, particularly at the end, if it signposts you, so, you know, it kind of points you to where you can get support if if you consider, your, you know, if you perceive yourself in this way or that way, that there are, you know, guides and, and just, you know, even if it's just a virtual, a virtual well done actually you're doing a great job I think it is true I think carers find it difficult I think well first of all nobody defines themselves as a carer I mean they're just that's my wife that's my husband they're not my carer until such time as you need significant help uh you know managing daily life at that point I think there's maybe a bit of a flip that's when it changes um but that sounds like fascinating work. Uh, thank you, Nareen. And, and I'm sure, actually, that talks well to Chris and um, Jin and Wendy's point from before, pointing out that the stuff you can participate in as a member of the public absolutely isn't all given, you know, isn't all drug trials. That d- designing tools like this, which then can then be help people. So then when you, a GP, can somebody comes in and says, look, I'm struggling to care for my loved one they can give them this kind of questionnaire and it will work out what's going on so that they can then provide the best support for somebody and actually funny you should say it because I, I was listening to your talk earlier with uh, Wendy Chris and Jane and, and you mentioned about joint dementia research and sort of the way it sort of came about really and actually joint dementia research has been absolutely amazing for my work and I'm sure it will continue to you know coming to sort of the next sort of uh, work streams that I've got to do, especially at the moment where NHS sites are not able to recruit because they're one, prioritising COVID studies and two, they're restricting researchers going in. So from the sort of work I do, joint dementia research has been absolutely, um, yeah, great. 
that's great to know. If you're in the UK, you can register on Joint Dementia Research at jointdementiaresearch.nhr.ac.uk. If you're outside the UK, there are lots of other registers in local countries that do exactly the same thing. I think you've got Trial Match in the US. You've got, um, as I said before, you've got Step Up for Dementia Research in uh, Australia. Kelly, now I'm going to come to you next. I think, did you say you had a, I'm recalling, did you say you had a video to play? I have, um, and this is a video which tries to do exactly what Jane, Chris and Wendy were talking about, is taking something that's quite, can be quite an abstract concept, but turn it into something that is, man, you know, that everyone well, I know you, understand. you said that was four minutes long, so if you yeah, want so it to... Might just be too, it might just be too long. No, 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 you, by, by all means, that'll give me four minutes to make a drink. Um, <laughs> do you, if you want to share your screen now, I'm going to... This is the first time we've done this, so if you share, make sure you've ticked the box that says share sound. In this four minute video we will talk about the importance of functional objects in everyday life and care planning for people living in care homes. Functional objects are any items used to perform a task to maintain routines. This could be anything from cooking utensils, cleaning equipment or technology such as a mobile phone keeping people connected. These are objects that demonstrate identity and encourage activity. People living with dementia often move into a care home following a hospital admission or a crisis at home. The person with the dementia may not be involved in the decision to move. They are often moved without returning home and don't have the opportunity to select the items they want to have. Moving into a care home can be difficult but retaining familiar items can make this transition easier. Access to functional objects support the person to maintain routines developed over a lifetime and give them the opportunity to live the lives they want to live. Functional objects are often overlooked when a person moves into a care home. The focus is often on items of necessity or comfort, such as toiletries, clothing, photographs or soft furnishings and whilst these are important we also use many other objects every day. Think about each item you have used today and how your day would have been if you didn't have these. Sometimes care staff can be over cautious with residents taking items away. This can leave people feeling frustrated or agitated. Whilst this comes from a place of safety, ultimately staff can either encourage or prevent activity. If one person has an issue with an item, this does not mean the same issue applies to all people living in a care home. Without functional objects, residents can be left with nothing to do. This can have negative consequences and interrupt their usual routines. It is important for people to use functional objects to lead meaningful lives. Without functional objects, people can behave in ways care staff find challenging, such as continually walking, repeating questions and distressed at not being enabled to take part in everyday life. Not having functional objects can reduce a person's independence, resulting in them becoming overly dependent on care home staff. If a person has a set routine, say making dinner at the same time every evening, breaking this routine can cause agitation and restlessness. 
supporting residents to care for themselves maintains their identity and makes them feel more at home. Prior to moving into a care home, we can ask people about what objects they want with them. For example, we could find out what tasks they did at home, the objects they used for this, and would they like these objects to continue these tasks. This helps build a picture of how someone lived their everyday life and allows staff to have a deeper relationship with residents. Identifying the objects a person wants to have and how they use them can be included in care plans. Using functional objects can provide people with opportunities to participate in everyday life, doing things for themselves and helping others, resulting in living a meaningful and fulfilled life. So, functional objects are important to support people live the lives they want to live, enable people to demonstrate their identity and reduce the disruption to a person's life. Thank you for watching. We hope you found this video useful. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. If you oh I'm that felt really long. <laughs> no, that was the perfect length of time. I now have coffee. Although I realized I hadn't muted my microphone, so everybody could hear me getting coffee. Um that's a project that's it's being funded by the impact acceleration account. So the the it's built from a framework I built in my PhD, but I wanted to take it into care organisations. So I'm working with a care organisation to develop an online training programme, and that video forms part of that. Um, but it's very much, if, if I talk in academic terms, I'm talking materiality, object-person relations, um, embodiment, you know, all these kind of words. And it's right, okay, so that's fine for an academic paper, but how do you take that language and make it accessible to everybody so that it's meaningful? So that's kind of what I'm trying to do with these videos. And and it, and also as well, I guess, this is clearly something that needs to be addressed on a policy level as well with places like nursing homes where they have these kind of and, and it comes in when you think about end of life as well, I guess, is that, is that when you, you know, when you go somewhere that you can't take your stuff with you because it comes with the bed and there's the wardrobe and it's, it's more like being admitted to hospital, I think, than, than it would be just moving house. Um, how do you, how, is there work going on with that as well to try and change care homes thinking on this? So, I mean, this is, it's going from sort of a theoretical framework to, something that's in practice and I think I need both of them to convince or influence other people that it's something um, because care homes tend to work on a risk averse basis so the amount of care staff that look to objects you know a hairdryer as being hazardous as being dangerous in the hands of a person with dementia and it kind of goes to show how people are viewed particularly in a care home environment um, so it, it's really kind of change and reframe the way that people are, are viewed once they kind of walk over that threshold of a care home to look at you know people can still do things they may not be able to do everything that they used to do or equally do it as well as they used to however that doesn't mean that it's hazardous or dangerous and what tends to happen is it's based on anecdotal evidence so somebody somewhere did something so therefore nobody can do it rather than sort of really looking at individuals as a person and enabling them to you know to develop those relationships with care staff as well that are meaningful as opposed to um, just sitting watching tv 
So um, I'm, we're running out of time now. I need to remind everybody that if they have questions, the, the, you can post them. I think in, in YouTube, it looks like you have to actually post them in the comments underneath. Um, and if you're watching via Zoom, you can use the Q&A button. And I do keep, chatting, keep checking the Twitter to see if there are any uh, questions there going with using the hashtag chatathon. So please post those questions uh, now if you have any. So what? Uh, while we're waiting to see if any of those come in, what, what do you hope to achieve in the next, what's your focus for the next six, 12 months, Kellen, COVID getting in the way aside? Um, so for me, it's, it's collaborating with this care organisation to not only train staff in material citizenship, which I need to change that name because it's, it's, it's a very academic name. Um, so it, it's embedding this training with care staff, but equally it's embedding the, the idea through the care home because unless the care home are willing to change the way that they work it's just another training program and I think when we look at evaluating the impact of the stuff that we do we really need to look at how how um, how the organizations themselves are changing in relation to how they're supporting staff rather than it's another training program so you know staff know a bit more but nothing's actually changed so that's what we'll be working on over the next six months. Thank you, Kelly. Um, what about uh, you guys, uh, Nathan and Norea? What's coming up in the next 12 months for you? I guess really trying to roll out and get in the uh, decision guide uh, out to as many people as possible. I think that's a massive priority. So we're going to be doing that over particularly the next month. And then for me, with my fellowships, I've developed another decision guide. This is what the COVID one was based on. Um, that's focusing on decisions at the end of life. And I'm currently doing a study with that at the moment. So we're trying to recruit family carers at the moment to take part in that study, to test it. And so that's gonna be a big focus for me. Uh, yeah, I had a whole bunch of questions about end of life pathways and how they differ between acute care and that kind of emergency admission that I didn't get to ask. So I'm sorry, I, I, it would be great to have you back though, maybe to do a, a podcast for us for dementia research. Yeah, and that would, be, that would be fascinating. Is, is, how, is that the same for you, Norea? Yeah, pretty You've much. Got your fellowships um, finished as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've got a year and a half left on the fellowship, so it's really just waiting for NHS sites to open and get back on testing the tool, really. Brilliant. Well, we didn't get any questions, although given that it's one minute to go before the next session, I'm quite welcome of that. I need to, I need to get more time efficient as we move on. Thank you very much uh, to uh, uh, Nerea Capelli, uh, Kelly Lee and Nathan Davis. Uh, for joining us over the last half an hour.